It made me want to sing the song that we used to sing as a kid. I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. I might not be able to shoot, but I'm in the Lord's army. How many of you want to be in the Lord's army today? We talked about the Lord's army today. We sang about it. Said break the chains. How many of you ready to get the chains broken off this morning? I tell you what, the Holy Spirit must have been all linked up because I'm talking about the army of God and I'm going to be talking about battles and I'm going to be talking about all those things and the chains coming off. So I guess this is where the Lord wanted this thing to go, okay? I started to say all I need to do is just get up here and say rise for the benediction, but, you know, we'll give you the word, okay? So would you stand with me as we do our declaration to the Lord this morning? Out of Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5, we read this. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hears to learn. The Lord God had opened my ear, and I was not rebased, nor did I turn away. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. We say amen to that. That means, what does amen be? mean? As agreed, or so be it. Praise the Lord. Well, everything this morning seems to be talking about breaking chains off and the army. This morning, I have struggled with the title of this message, and my wife can attest to that. I have probably asked her, I don't know how many times, what does this title sound like? What does this title... And people say, what difference does the title make? It's what you say that's important, right? But I don't know why. But I've, I've gone through a whole list of them, and I finally ended up with this one. And who knows if it's good, bad, or indifferent. But it's God is bigger than our obstacles. I started to say our problems, but problems sometimes get misconstrued. But many times I want to talk about obstacles. And what is an obstacle? Anybody know what an obstacle is? That is an obstacle. If I want to get over here... I have an obstacle in my way. I either have to go around it or I have to move it to be able to do what I need to do. Now, if I walk this way, some people looking would think that this is in my way. But it's not because it's from a different perspective. Okay? I look at it one way as a clear path. Someone looking this way, straight on, these people right here in the feet, see this standing here and see me walking toward it, could say, don't run over that, there's a mic in your way. Because you're looking at it from a different perspective. Okay? So obstacles that are in our life are seen different ways. And this story that we're going to tell, I want you to... I'm going to lay the perspectives out, and then I want you to see. I'll try to bring them out, but I want you to look at the different perspectives of different people in the story that we're going to tell today, the story that we're going to be discussing. Because the perspective of the obstacle was, is what those people saw and where they were and how they believed and how they felt due to the obstacle that lied before them. So we're going to, you've all read this because we all read 1 Samuel together, so I know that if you did your lessons when we were back reading 1 Samuel, all of you know these stories, but I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit about them. 
to show the perspectives that we have in looking at obstacles in our lives. And the Bible records for us an amazing event that takes place during the early history of the United Kingdom of Israel. Now, the United, this was time when the United of Israel were together. They were just one, one group, one king altogether. They were there. And it's a story that involved Jonathan, the, the son of Saul, and his armor bearer, which tells the story about God being bigger than Israel's obstacle. So to speak, they were between the rock and a hard place. Okay? Now, just to give you a little bit of background, if you go to 1 Samuel, uh, I'm not, we're not going to go there, I'm just going to tell you where it's located. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13, we get the background to the story that starts in chapter 14. But I want to lay the background of where the children of Israel were at this particular point in time. Their obstacle, the problem or obstacle that they had, was that in the second year of Saul's reign over Israel, the Israelites engaged, in, engaged the Philistines in battle. Notice that the Philistines didn't engage them, they engaged the Philistines. Okay? But they did this. Now they began with 3,000 chosen men. 2,000 men were with Saul. 1,000 of them were with Jonathan. I don't know why the son got less, but I guess they just wanted, Saul wanted more protection, I guess. But anyway, north of them was the Philistine garrison. And Jonathan had attacked this garrison, which was the first act of war of independence from Philistia, Philistia and probably the first feat of arms. Upon learning this, Saul called the people together at Gilgal. So he's got all these people together at Gilgal. Now, Jonathan's attack on, on uh, uh, Jeba stirred up the anger of the Philistines, and they got mad. Basically, what Jonathan did was he stirred the hornet's nest. Hornet's nest. He went up and shook the nest, kind of attacked the nest, didn't destroy the nest, just got up and just shook the nest just a little bit, and the Philistines got really angry. And so what they did was they went out and they gathered together from their country 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and more people than you can see on the sands of the, of the shores is what it said. In other words, we can't even count them all. There's so many. It's just like looking at the sands of the sea. And this is what 2,000 people would saw and 1,000 with Jonathan are looking at. So, what happens when the children of Israel, Saul, Jonathan, and everybody sees all of this stuff gathering? They've got these 30,000 chariots to the north of them. They've got the pass covered. All the, they, they basically are surrounded. So, when the Israelites heard about all of this stuff going on with the Armies being gathered together, and here they were with, let's just say, 3,000 against the chariots. Forget the army, just the chariots. They were already outnumbered. You look at it, what, 10 to 1? They had 3,000. They had, well, they had 60 or 30,000, so look at it. So, seeing this, well, anyway, the Israelites heard about it, and they became distressed. Now, they became spiritually concerned. <laughs> what we would say is concerned because none of us worry about anything. Christian people are only concerned. 
But these people became distressed and scattered like the roaches when you turn the lights on. They started hiding in the caves, behind the rocks, on the hillsides. They didn't want to be seen by these 30,000 chariots or these horsemen or all of these people. So we see now the people are really scared. And they've run. So seeing this, Saul had a major lapse of judgment which cost him his kingdom. Even though the prophet Samuel had told him to wait for him to offer a sacrifice that he offered, he offered it on his own. He went, instead of doing the sacrifice, he kept waiting for Samuel to come. He'd wait and wait. He said, wait seven days. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. Samuel never shows up. So Saul says, I'll just do the sacrifice myself. Big mistake. This was a rebellion against God's way. He was not allowed to do the sacrifice that way. So, so Samuel rebukes him, told him that the kingdom would be going to another person, one who was after his own heart. So not only has he's ready to fight this massive battle, got all these people coming down his throat, now Samuel tells him, you're fixing to leave the throne. God is displeased with you. And now, so Saul is, you know, his way. So this is what we see coming into chapter 14 of First Samuel. So, these were his obstacles. Now, our obstacles that we see, we should look at these, we can look at these obstacles the way Israel looked at them, and, and it's bigger than us, and it's massively over than us, and, and all of this type of stuff. Or we can look at these obstacles the way God looks at the obstacle. Because God looks at things differently than we do, right? And so it's important for us to under, understand that. Now, it doesn't matter how big the obstacle is if it's still in your way. Now, some things are small enough that you can just go around. You either go around the obstacle, move the obstacle, or let the obstacle stop you. All of those are our choices which we make. What we do when we get into the situation that we're in. An obstacle is anything in our life that stands and keeps us from going forward. It's anything in this church that keeps us from moving forward. An obstacle can arise. For instance, let's just say, and this is just a hypothetical, okay? Let's just say that we get ready and we want to launch a... And put a big tent out in the parking lot to get people's attention. And we say, that's a great idea. Let's do it. One obstacle. How do we pay for it? And all of a sudden we look and we say, well, we don't have the money to do it. That's an obstacle. But do we look at it and we say, well, now wait a minute. Do we want to put the tent out there? Or does God want us to put the tent out there? Okay? So do we create an obstacle in our life, in our church? Or does God tell us to do something that's bigger than we are, but yet God said to do it? Now, those are two different obstacles. One generated by us, the other one generated by God. Now, God doesn't look at it as an obstacle because He's looking from up here and He's looking down and He sees no obstacle in life. He sees and has a plan for everything to happen, for that to happen when God wants it to happen, right? 
So God, whatever it was, God's in it. God will what? Provide. Because God said, it's my, what I want you to do. In our lives, it's the same way. Many times we make choices that are not God choices. Now, people say there are bad choices and there are good choices. Yes, there are. But there are good things to do that are bad choices. Okay? We can have the best of intent. It may be a good thing to do, but it may not be a God thing to do. Okay? And sometimes we make choices that create obstacles in our own lives. Now, Jonathan stirred the hornet's nest, and now a problem has arisen. But God is looking down, and God has a way. Because God is bigger than that problem. Okay? Now, so here we have Saul now. He's left, because all these people started scattering, he's left with 600 people. Not 2,000, but 600. And he still has the three companies of Philistines with all of those, and he's got a garrison on the other. He's got, these big, he's got a garrison on the other side protecting the pass, so they are surrounded. They can't leave. They can't go anywhere. They don't have much choice of anything. But Saul, he didn't have a plan. He just went and sat down and did nothing. Okay? But Jonathan had a plan. So let's look at Jonathan's plan. Now, this is one, one man's plan, okay? Now, 1 Samuel 1.14, let's read. Now, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. Now, I can just imagine this little... I say little, he's probably pretty good size. Armor bearer looking at his master, and his master says, Hey, bud, let's go over to the other side where the garrison is. You sure about this? It's just you and me, and I don't have a sword. All I got is your shield, because I'm your armor bearer. Okay? I don't have anything. But anyway. That's on the other side. But he did not tell his father Saul. Now, why would a son get ready to go over in the middle of the Philistines and not tell his father? We'll find out. Just stick it back in the back of your head, okay? So, when you look at the area, you can see that Israel here is boxed in. And this, this boxed in area, and... <coughs> One way, one way, one, well, the enemy's on all the sides, right? But there's this big gorge where the pass is. You know how a pass has a big gorge type thing. And so this gorge there, and so when, when uh, uh, Jonathan's saying, let's go over to the other side, he's talking about going to the other side. When he said, let's go to the other side, not the side that was facing him, but to go around and come in from the back side, okay? And on the back side was a gorge. It was like a cliff that was on the back side. And so that's where he decided to go. So then Jonathan said, in, 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 skip down to verse 6 in 1 Samuel, it says, And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison 
of these uncircumcised, and this is the key, that it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving. That's what you need to remember in every situation that you get in. There's nothing that limits the Lord. There's only one thing that limits the Lord. Anybody know who it is? Us. We are the ones who place the limits on the Lord. God has no restraints. He can do absolutely, unequivocally anything He desires, when He wants to do it, where He wants to do it, and to whom He wants to do it. We are in control of tying God's hands. Instead of loosing, the Bible says we have the power to bind, and we can loose. Everybody think about that for a minute. We have the power to bind God's hands. Or we can loose God's hands in our lives. And many times we don't think about the fact that we have power that we don't realize we have. God said, I'm here to meet your every need, to go before you. If He goes before you, that means He's already passed through what you're getting ready to go through. You have to... He didn't say, all of you, I want you to go before me and I'll follow you. Many times we get ahead of God going our own way to try to fight our own battle when He said, hold on a minute, who's leading this anyway? God wants to be the one out in front. Now, Jonathan here... He says, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. It doesn't matter to God if there's one of you or ten of you or a thousand of you. He can accomplish it with many or he can accomplish it with one. It doesn't matter to him because all he has to do is empower. Pastor Angela is one person. But God could empower her for thousands with the power of thousands. Do you realize that? Think about Gideon. He took a group of people. God kept getting it smaller and smaller. Why? Because if the Lord's number had gone, they could have thought they did it. How many times have you said, Boy, I got that. I won that battle. I surely did. You should have seen how well I performed. I went in there and I just, whatever, and I spoke and I spoke and I did it. Uh-oh. Who gets the credit for the victories in our lives? Do we take, do we take the credit? Or does God get the credit? Okay? God is the one who does. You know, I went out and worked and I made... This month's money this week. Who gave you the job? Who blessed you to keep the job? Who got you the raise? Who got you the money? See, we forget because we believe in self-sufficiency. 
Brother Michael was talking this morning about the children in Uganda. We had this picture that my wife just posted on a website page. It shows these kids. We took it from a high shot of them eating their beans and rice and happy to get it and know that they're blessed of God to get it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a different perspective. We would look at it and say, Oh, don't you feed them something besides this? They're thankful. They're thankful. Why? If you don't have and you receive something, it's always better than nothing. But we take the mighty blessings of God and want more. We're always wanting more. When people, people like to take that verse that says, Ask God, whatever you ask me, I will give it unto you. They forget all the other scriptures that says, Keep my commandments. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of your... But what do we want? Do we seek the wants of our flesh? Those material things that we desire more and more and more of? God said, I shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Define for me need. Do you need it? Or do you want it? God did not say, I'll give you all of your wants. The prayer was, Lord, give us this day our Cadillac. God, give us this... No. Give us this day our daily bread. The most important thing for us is food. If we don't eat food, we die. Those children in Africa and under, sit under many, many ministries, they don't get that bread, guess what? They die. So, it's perspective. How are you looking at the things in your life? Your perspective is what it's all about. Looking at it. Now, Jonathan, he had a little bit different perspective. Um, so, he asked his armor bearer, and so here, here we see the armor bearer. He said to the armor bearer, that, so the armor bearer said to Jonathan, in verse 7, he says, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here am I with you, according to your heart. In other words, I don't want to go, Jonathan, but whatever's in your heart, I, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. Sometimes when we make decisions in our lives, it encompasses other people, maybe a family member, a wife, a husband, or something. And we make that decision, sometimes realizing that it can affect others around us. And it may affect them differently than it affects us because that's something we want to do. But he had it in his heart to do something, right? So no one ever speaks about the faith of this armor bearer. But he had to have a lot of faith to be able to follow his leader into a garrison, not two or three people, but to a garrison of Philistines. And these were not little guys. These were 
big guys that stood probably a good head and shoulders or higher than anyone there because Israel, Israel people are little people. So you got little people to start with, not a six-footer. You got them down here, and then you got these eight, seven, eight, nine-foot people over there, right? But he had faith. So Jonathan said, very well. He says, very well. You going to go with me? Let's cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. Wait a minute, boss. You mean we're not going to go over there and attack them? I thought we were just going to go over and maybe attack them. Like, you know, we just got through stirring them up down here. We're going to go stir them up again. But, no. I can hear this lumber bearer now. <laughs> uh, great, we're not going to fight. We're just going to go over there and stand and show ourselves to them. But then, Jonathan has his plan. He said, if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in, your, in our place and not go up to them. Not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up, then we will go up. In other words, if they are looking down at us, which we know is a gorge, so we know they're having to look at them down there. If they come down to us, then we're, not, we're just going to stay down there. I don't know what would happen if they went down there, if they got in a fight. We don't know that story. But they said, he said, but if they do it, then what does he say? This is, I, I like this because a lot of people miss this part of it. If they say, come up to us, then we will go. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So Jonathan went wanting the Lord to use him, but wasn't quite sure how God would use him. But he was going anyway. How many times have you got a situation, you went to that situation saying, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting that this is what you want me to do. I, I'm trusting you, but God, as I go, give me a sign that where I'm going is where you want me to go. Or do we just boldly go and say, I'm going, it doesn't matter. If I fall off, I fall off. There's nothing about being cautious. Jonathan was cautious. He didn't just run over there and say, yeah, and start rattling, rattling his sword. He went over there. But he said, for the Lord has delivered us. Notice past tense. He didn't say the Lord will deliver us. He said the Lord has delivered us. And he hadn't even climbed the mountain we have to recognize that in our battles, our battles are already won. We just have to go to war. We're part of an army. Why are we called an army? Because we fight individually as one. But in our individuals as one, we defeat many by strength in number. Right? And if God can put one to flight or 10,000 to flight, it doesn't matter to God. We look at things differently. We look at our situations differently. But then Jonathan said, I'm just looking for a sign, Lord. Just 
All you've got to do, Lord, is just crack the door. Just crack the door and I'll go in there. I'm not asking you to open it. I'm just asking you to crack it. And I know that you want me to open it. That's all you've got to do. You crack it or you unlock it and I'll open it. Whatever. But the point is, Jonathan was looking for that sign. The Holy Spirit. Now, Jonathan, he didn't have the Spirit like we have the Spirit, right? But we have the Holy Spirit to give us signs along the path. Okay? But we have to watch for the signs. And we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because that's how we do correctly what the Spirit wants to. Because we are led by the Spirit. God showed us that God, the Holy Spirit even led Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus followed the Spirit. He gave that to us as, as an example. That we must do the same thing. We must follow the Spirit. Follow after Him and do what He says to do. So it said, Then both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines says, Oh, look! The Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden. Now, so the Philistine guard looks down at these guys and starts making fun of them. Ever stepped out by faith to do something and everybody in your family tells you you're stupid? You're crazy? Why in the world would you ever do something like this? They can't hear who you're hearing. They can't see what you're seeing. All they can see is the natural effects of something that walks in the spiritual realm. You cannot, the two don't mix together. They're, it just doesn't happen. But just because people make fun of you doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do it. Nine times out of ten, probably you should be doing it. And you're being tested to see whether or not you'll stand your ground and do what God has told you to do. So, verse 12. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Yeah, right. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. A guy who carries your armor, especially your shield, normally goes before you. If he's the one that's there to help you in battle, to protect you so that you can fight, you want him to go before you. Notice here, Jonathan didn't say, go forth and I'll be right behind you. How many times have we said in our lives, well, you just go ahead and do that. I'll just, you know, I'll just follow you. I've done it. I've done it with my wife. My wife will say, let's, let's jump out in, this, in the ministry. She says, we need, I'll say, what about something that we want to do in our ministry? So well, I guess, wife, do it. Let's do it. Well, wait a minute. I said it, but I got to get up there first. Well, you just go ahead and do it, and I'll follow along. Right? Well, the thing about it, why did God give it to me if he wanted me to follow her? Many times, it's who takes the lead. Who does God give it to? The person he gives it to is the one he wants to do it. God gave it to Jonathan. He didn't give it to the armor bearer. He gave it to Jonathan. 
So Jonathan says, Come up after me. For the Lord has delivered. Says it again. Again. He said it before. The Lord has delivered them. Now listen, the words change here. The Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Go back in verse 10. Can we go back in verse 10 and 3, or is that too hard? I'll just read it this time. You got it? Okay. But if I say, thus come unto us, for the Lord hath delivered them into who? Our hand. Jonathan is saying, he's going to deliver them into my hand. Talking about our hand, talking about him and the armor bearer, the Lord will give them into our hands, the two of them. All of a sudden, God, Jonathan's vision of victory just grew. It grew from God's going to use it for us. We're going to get the, we're going to get the victory. We're going to be able to go tell my dad. We went over and whooped these guys, but he didn't. He increased his view. His perspective of the situation now had changed. Why? Because he felt victory. How many times in our things when we go, the closer we get to victory, what happens? That, is it? I can explain it in sports. I don't know that I can explain it any other way. There's one feeling when you're on your own 20-yard line, and that goal is 80 yards away. But when you're inside the 10, the red zone, when you're inside the 10, there's something inside of you that's completely different than it was when you were on the 20. When you're that close to victory, when you're that close to winning your goal, that battle, that day, that moment, whatever quarter it was in, that day, that moment. Something changes in here. Something changed in Jonathan. So, notice, then verse 13 says, And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees, so we know that this was not an easy climb. This was not a slope walking up a hill. This was a gorge, and this was something he was going to have to climb on his hands and knees. So he climbs on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came in after him, talking about his armor bearer, he killed him. So they went up, and together it says that they defeated Go in verse 14. The first slaughter which Jonathan and Arbera made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. Two to 20. That's one to 10. That means they were outnumbered 10 to 1. That, my friends, is a warrior. He did it with the Lord's help. He overcame 10 himself. Now, we don't know if ten was one and one was the other. I don't know. It doesn't tell us if, if it was ten apiece. It just says when the, <clears throat> when the armor bearer got up here, he continued with what Jonathan was doing. But we have to remember, the only one that had a sword 
was Jonathan. Remember that. Jonathan was the only one that had the sword. So if the armor bearer did it, he did it with something else. He had an axe. He had a rod. He had, a, he had something. He might have had a pitchfork for all we know because all they had was just their farm instruments to be able to fight with, axes and things of that nature. So now, have an acre. Now, this was a great defeat. Two men have killed 20 men. Ten to one odd. Now, there's no account in the Bible that tells us how many Philistines actually died in the battle that day when things happened before, but I want to just tell you this. Josephus, which was an early writer of the church, says it could have been as high as 60,000 people died that day in the battle that is ready to take place. But now we need to set the scene here, okay? After this small victory, because in comparison, this was a very small victory. Sometimes what seems to be a small victory in our life can turn out to be a massive battle that has been won. Okay? In other words, it might feel like a little skirmish, and it feels like you... How many times, especially with your kids? Lord, help us with kids. How many times does it seem like you just... You made just one little... The kids said something, and you said, Oh, we finally broke through. You don't know what's behind that, what you call a small victory. Because this, in the eyes of Jonathan, was a small victory. Okay? But a small victory here. We set the scene. So, we got this, got, so here we got this garrison with thousands of warriors. Here Jonathan and his armor of area have one sword ready to fight the entire garrison. Remember here, there's only two swords in all of, all of Israel right now. Saul has one and Jonathan has one. Two swords. But you know something? We all have a sword. We all have a sword. And I can either poke the devil with it and just irritate him, or I can defeat him. The choice is mine. Okay? A lot of people just poke the devil, like Jonathan did to the Israelites. They just poke at him. Instead of speaking the word and getting it over with, they just kind of throw a little light one out there. Well, I don't want to step out too hard. Why not? Do you want him poking back at you? Put him down. If you got him in, in spiritual warfare, you don't want to just temporarily restrain him. You want to put him down. Put him down for the count, so to speak, okay? Don't, don't play around with God's word. Use it for, your, for his honor and for his glory. Okay. Now, that's no problem. God's bigger than any obstacle. We got Jonathan and his armor bearer just standing there ready to take on this garrison. Now, Jonathan stepped out by faith, but now it's God's time. So what happens? Okay. Verses 15. And there was a trembling in the camp. There's a trembling in the field. There was a trembling among all the people. Didn't say some of them. All of the people. The garrison, okay, all of it. There was trembling in the Philistines' garrison. And then it says, and the earth quaked. The mountain started shaking. I've never been in an earthquake I say I haven't been in an earthquake. I've been, I was at the top of a 71-story building in a, in, a, in a restaurant when the one hit Mexico City. And it shook the building so much up there on the top floor that it shut the elevators down. That's the closest I've ever been, and that's the closest I ever want to be. But the earthquake, 
so that there was a great trembling. Why? Because Jonathan had killed 20 Jonathan and his armor bearer had killed 20 men. Why? Would there be all of this? But it says, now the watchman of Saul. Now we've got to go all the back to Saul sitting over here doing nothing. I got 600 people left. Can you count the number? Let's just make sure how many people we got. And so it says, now the watchman from Saul at Jebeth of Benjamin looked. And there was a multitude melting away, and they went here and there. And this is where all the people, they took off and started running. They went to the they. All you could see was elbows and heels. Okay? They all went here and there. Then, Paul, then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Anybody wonder why Jonathan didn't tell his dad? If your son came to you and said, Dad, me and my armor bearer is going to go over to that garrison of thousands of army guys over there, those big guys, and we're going to go over there and we're going to whoop them. What would you say? Sometimes folks don't cast your pearls before swine. Sometimes it's better just to, if God tells you to do it, do it. Because if you tell it, tell it to the wrong person, you'll get more negative about it than you ever thought you'd ever get. Okay? If God told you to do it, you don't need anybody else's pat on the back to tell you to do it. If God tells you to do it, do it. Okay? So, they called the roll, and then Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at the time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now, why would Saul ask for the ark to come? He needed an answer, and he knew if he got the ark. A lot of times the ark, you know, that's, that's the presence of the Lord. He wanted to bring the presence of the Lord there, which brought the priest, which also brought the high priest. And then it says... Now it happened while Saul was, 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 was talking to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Now why does he say, withdraw your hand? Because Saul was talking to him, the high priest, and wanted to know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go to battle or not? What are we supposed to do? We've got all these people around. Do we go fight? What are we supposed to do? I don't know what the Lord... Remember, the Lord had taken his presence from Saul. He, he wasn't talking to Saul anymore. Okay? When you lose the voice of God, you've missed something real big. Don't lose it. Listen to that voice. Don't get to the point to where you don't listen to it anymore. Okay? So what he had done, he had called the high priest and was talking to the high priest, you know, should we go to battle? And he was stuck his hand in for the Urim and the theorem, right, to decide whether or not they pull it out. If he pulled it out, it was going to tell them whether or not they did go to battle or they didn't go to battle. But all of a sudden, Paul says, withdraw your hand. I don't need to know. I know to go. 
Okay? So, so as Paul saw, uh, verse 9, so he talked to the priest, the noise which is in the camp of the Philistines, said, withdraw your hand. So, Saul told the priest, withdraw your hand. Now, then Saul and all the people, all 600 of them, who were with him assembled, and they went to battle. And every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Because of the way that's written, a lot of people think it sounds like they took swords against themselves or whatever, but this was talking about what was happening in the camp of the Philistines. All of a sudden, the Philistines started pulling their, course, pulling their swords and started killing the guys right next to them. They started killing their own people because there was such chaos and confusion that God had confused it. That's not something new. We see that, late. We see that many times in Scripture, how God confuses the people. But every man took his sword against his own neighbor, and there was a great confusion. Many times in our lives, when we step out by faith and do things, chaos breaks loose. <laughs> People start turning, doing all kinds of crazy stuff when we start doing things God wants us to do. People say, I don't understand. What? I just don't understand. I don't understand. Why is it? What? Because God's moving. I've always said... <laughs> When the doctors become, I've said this for years and years and years, when, when you're in a situation and the doctors become confused, God's on the scene. When man becomes confused, God is there. It says, but now, once you step out by faith and you do something, many times people will join with you as you stuck out by faith. Pastor Angela is our leader. As we begin to take on the obstacles that will lie before us, and Satan will try to throw as many as he can in our way of ministry, in our way of doing what God wants us to do. But it's not going to just be Pastor Angela who goes against that. It's going to be all of those that come behind, just like here. It says, And moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up to them into the camp from the surrounding country, and they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains, in the rocks of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed after, hard after them into battle. There's something about the first taste of victory. The first taste of victory being behind in a ball game by 21 points you're in the last quarter of the game three touchdowns away from a victory and you score a touchdown early in the fourth quarter do you know what happens inside that team hope and all of a sudden, that sense of victory. When we overcome the little ones, my friend, we get that first touchdown, mm, something rises up in us and tells us, bring it on. I had a big old boy when I was playing ball. We needed to go 80 yards for a touchdown to win the ball game. We got in the huddle. Big old Fred, we called him Bruno because he's so big. He said, just run behind me, I'll get you there. 
I said, okay. I told the quarterback, call it. I'll get behind him. Fred will be me and you here to the goal line. I took that ball. That linebacker, he was supposed to block eight my grits. If you don't know what that means, that means he just hit me like he'd never been hit before. I went back to huddle. I said, Fred, if that's the way you're going to block, I'm going to go to the other side. He says, no, I'll get him this time. I didn't gain anything the first time. And all of a sudden, I went. And as I went by Fred, I could hear that linebacker say, a superlative, I will not tell you what he said. As I ran by him, and they pulled me down and tackled. But that was the beginning. Nine plays later, Pedro, we walked away from that championship. But it started not when he, when that guy ate my grits. But it started when I went through that line of scrimmage and we got that first 10 yards. And we only had, we had 80 to go now, we only had 70. Nine plays later, victory. That's the way it is in our lives, folks. I've got to close. But with this, I tell you, it doesn't matter what's in your way. God wants it out of your way. God sees it from a different perspective. He's looking down at us. He is looking down here, and we're still here. God knows where we're going before we even leave. He knows the end from the beginning. He's going to use you for victories in your own life to be able to take on the things of you. It's going to be witnessing for people like you've never witnessed before. God wants us to be witnessing, but people say, that's just an obstacle to me because I can't. God, what is a witness? A witness is nothing more than a testimony of what God has done for you. You begin to tell people what God has done for you. It's going to encourage them to take them a little step. Maybe they're the one that gets behind you and says, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. I'll go. Would you go with it? Maybe somebody says, would you pray with me that I have the strength? And we're going to pray that this morning. If you want to be in God's army, God wants mighty warriors. Mighty warriors. He doesn't want pipsqueaks. And I will tell you this. War is right here. The devil takes the mind. If he can destroy what if he can destroy it in your mind, he'll destroy it in every part of you. But if you put on the mind of Christ that says all things are possible with God, I can do all things because God will be with me. God will strengthen me. God will walk with me. He will be with me every step of the way. As we take on this vision for God, for souls into the kingdom of God, there's going to be trembling. There's going to be trembling in the neighborhoods. There's going to be trembling in the community. There's going to be trembling in Cyprus. There's going to be the shaking of God in this area. Why? Because we seek God. We pray for God. We know what God wants us to do. And we stand together, united, in one voice, in one accord, to do what God wants us to do. We will be victorious because God already knows what's happening at the end. How many of you are ready to join the army of God? How many of you are ready to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ above every obstacle? No matter what it is, we stand united together to carry the goal for the goal that we have. And that souls 
for the kingdom of God. If you would, stand with me. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. You got an obstacle in your life. We need somebody to believe with you. Come down here. I don't care what it is. Got an obstacle in your life? Come down here. Praise the Lord. I want to tell you what. We all have obstacles. We got those strongholds inside of us. We're going to be talking about those in the coming weeks. But God is here to overcome. Right here. She says she has an obstacle. I don't care what the obstacle is. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm not even going to ask you because it doesn't matter. God sees that obstacle gone. Okay? It doesn't matter if it's family. It doesn't matter if it's finances. It doesn't matter what it is. God sees it already gone. Okay? So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to give her strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, to look past that obstacle to the victory that lies ahead. Move it right now in the name of Jesus. I declare it, Lord, right now to be accomplished and to be done in the precious name of Jesus. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, for it right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name. Father, whatever the obstacle is, God, you know it. Right now, move it in the name of... Move it in the name of Jesus. Lord, it will be accomplished in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you, Lord, that it's gone. It's gone from her. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, dear. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus. Obstacles, go away right now.